got this O in the middle of it. And, and so he, every time he goes by the store, he'll buy another hat. He's got, I mean, he's got hats all over the place. And, and um, so, you know, I'm watching him. And, and so the other night, Susan and I got a chance to go um, have supper with a, with a young man by the name of Andrew Feltz, Andrew and Julie. We were praying for Julie. She had her spleen removed. We need to continue to pray for Julie. And um, so I was, we were just talking, and so we were, and I didn't really know Andrew at all, and so we were talking about it and what he does and different things, and Andrew and his brother have this company that makes these hats, and I, is it called, I forget the, it's, I call it the orange hat, but that's not what, what's the company? Heritage, what's the? Florida Heritage. And um, so, um, you know, I went home from my supper and said, hey, I know the guy that makes your hat now. And my son just smiled at me and just, you know, he just gives me a hard time. But I wanted to say thank you to you. Because Andrew talked about you. And how you've molded his life and shaped it. And uh, Andrew Fells is a blessing to me partly because of you. So I want to say thank you this morning for that. That blessed my, my wife and I's heart just to sit with them, fellowship with them. Really, really neat for us. The blessing to us. And so Charlie's been involved in Andrew's life, and I just want to say thank you this morning. Something that's blessed me, you've blessed me through them, and I appreciate that. As I've been studying the book of First Chronicles, it probably hasn't been 25 years since you've read First Chronicles. Maybe some of you have. So I've been just working my way through First Chronicles, trying to think through, Lord, <clears throat> how can I relate this book to our church family? What's in this book for us? As I'm looking through Chronicles, I just, really this is a factual writing account of an important or historical event in order the time of their occurrence. And what's interesting is, is you're, you're reading, most likely Ezra is, is the author, and you're going to read through some stuff and you're going to start scratching your head, you're going to say, no wait a minute, didn't we read about this in 1 Samuel and 1 Kings, and what, what, it's all, but it's right next to your Bible, so you just kind of, you know, we're kind of going right in order, but there's a huge time gap here. And what you're going to find is, is that Ezra's going to be riding, and this group of people are going to be coming back to their home. They've been taken away in captivity. Their homes are destroyed. Their lives are gone. As they come out of this captivity, they're going to be entering back into the world and try to, try to reestablish a, a, a temple again. Try to reestablish their home. And so as, you, as we've just kind of been going book by book by book by book, really we should go book and then, you know, about a 500-year time block, and now you're reading First Chronicles. And what's fascinating about First Chronicles is, is you, you've got a writer that wants to, to write some information down to give people hope. They're coming back to a world that is broken, that is wrecked. Their lives have been, been away from this area. They've been in areas where there have been foreign gods and they're, they're, it's just not a home. So now they're going to come back towards home. And so you've got 2 Samuel and, and you've got, you got 1 Chronicles and they're all written from different perspectives. 2 Samuel gives you the kings and the political history of Israel and Judah. Chronicles gives you religious history of the dynasty of David, a priesthood. And it's really going to look at some spiritual viewpoints. As you go through First Chronicles, you're going to get a chance to see uh, a lot of neat things. The temple has been destroyed. And Israel needs encouragement to rebuild their heritage. 
You think about the word Yahweh. I was reading through some some information that John Piper had written. And, uh, as you go back and as you think about this First Chronicles, I was just thinking God is with Israel. But I think they needed some encouragement. I think they needed to read some words. And so I have some things that, that John Piper has, has written down. And obviously I'm just going to go through these really fast. And, and um, I want you just to hear them though. Yahweh. He never had a beginning. God will never end. God is the absolute reality. There is no reality before Him. There is no reality outside of Him unless He wills it and makes it. He is all all that was eternal. No space, no universe, no emptiness. Only God. God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring it. Bring him into being or support him or counsel him or make him what he is. Everything that is not God depends totally on God. The entire universe is utterly secondary. It came into being by God and stays in being moment by moment on God's decision to keep it into being. All the universe is a, by comparison to God as nothing. God is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. He is who He is. God is the absolute standard of goodness and beauty. God does whatever whatever pleases Him and is always right and always beautiful and always in accord with truth. God is the most important and the most valuable person in the universe. And so as you think about this group of believers coming back, they need to be reminded that their God could help them. They needed to stop and look around and know that their world had been wrecked, their world had been shaken. And so the God that Ezra's going to write about is the God that they've heard about and they know about. They know the history. They know about David. They know about the temple. They know about Solomon. They know about the miracles. But as they're coming back, they need to be reminded. Any of you need reminders? Any of you need encouragement? Most of us all face lives that that there's struggles, there's turmoil, there's brokenness. And at times we just need to stop and be reminded that our God is big enough. Chronicles is written from a positive perspective, emphasizing God's grace and forgiveness. In order to encourage the Jews who have just returned from captivity. I got that from Wilkinson and Bo. What you're going to find interesting about 1 Chronicles, and as we go on in 2 Chronicles next week, it doesn't talk about David's struggle with Saul. It doesn't talk about his seven-year reign in Hebron. It doesn't talk about David's wives. It doesn't talk about Absalom's rebellion. And it doesn't talk about sin with Bathsheba. Find that interesting. Find it interesting because the author wanted to be a word of encouragement to the Jews. 
they knew what it was to be broken. They knew the consequences of sin. And now as you read through First Chronicles, God's going to remind you of grace and forgiveness. And I think a lot of times we, when we hear those two words, we move really fast over those words. They're kind of words that we're really familiar with. Oh yeah, we, you know, we've been around church, we've been around church and very often, you know, we really get really excited about hearing the word grace. But I want you to think about that word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Do you deserve grace? Do I deserve grace? No. You know what's even more fascinating to me? Is the second word. Forgiveness. All of us need forgiveness. We all do. There's not one of us sitting in this room that wouldn't like to go back and maybe time and have a little do-over because you... You made an unwise choice or you went in a, in a way that you really aren't going to stand up and say, well, I really need to tell you about something I did when I was in high school or when I was in college or, you know, we all, we've all got those little things that, you know, it's possibly you would call it in your closet. You're not really going to tell the whole world about, but it's just a reminder of you need forgiveness. And God had a plan that, hey, I'll provide the forgiveness. I will allow you to be set free because of my grace. And so this morning as you enter into the book of 1 Chronicles, there's really two things that I, that I want to talk to you about. It's, it's just the line of David and the reign of David. And it's interesting as you think through you know, where you are in 1 Chronicles, and then I was just you know, trying to do some math, going back and looking at you know, some, you know, some of your history. If you go back, just, just for instance, for example, go back to like 1 Samuel. And I'm just thinking time-wise, you know, between from what, so you get a grasp. I mean, I know your Bible, and I really think we should um, put our Bibles maybe in a timeline, not just kind of the way it's orchestrated here, because we, we miss so much because we, we don't see Timeline. You know, First Samuel is written somewhere around 930, and First First Chronicles is written somewhere around 450. So there's a lot of time in between here that we just kind of skip over. There's a lot of hurt in here that we just kind of skip over. There's captivity that they, we just kind of skip over because we're just kind of going through it. I don't, I want you to stop and think about it this morning. And so as you get to First Chronicles, you're going to. You're going to get a chance to see two things. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the, the royal line of David. But that goes from chapter 1 through chapter 9. And what's really interesting in this is, is there's special attention to the line of Levi. There's a special attention in, in that genealogy to see how God kept his promise with David. And we talked about David's covenant. We talked about God's going to make a way through David. That the Messiah would be born. And now you're going to come back and, and look you know, at 450 B.C. And see how God's going to keep that all together. And it's fascinating to me. Instead of you know, this writer saying, hey, we're going to come back to, to Israel. We're going to reestablish our home. Let's start out with this positive message. No, he starts out with genealogies. And he writes it down 
so that these people could stop and look at a document that's probably the most exhaustive document that you will find through Scripture of genealogy. And they're the hardest to read and they're the most boring to read, but there's some depth to those things. They're saying, hey, I've got this thing. I am in control. God wanted these people to say, you can trust me. I made a covenant to David, and I will stay faithful to my word. And so in those nine chapters, grace abounds. Because Israel's went in so many different directions. And so now these people are coming home, and they're going to get a chance to hear these words being spoken. And then if you go through that, you see that Edra's going to encourage them to come back. And you know what? When you come back, God will be with you. God is working in this section to preserve a people for himself. It's just not a list of a lot of names. It's the list to show you the power of your God. When a nation went in a lot of different ways, God was still gracious. God was still forgiving. God was still there. These people are seeing that God would follow through. Lives were broken. Temples were destroyed. Homes were destroyed. destroyed. They're going to have a chance to rebuild. They're going to have a chance for forgiveness and a chance for grace. And I realize that's very brief on on nine chapters of Scripture. But I want you to go uh, to the reign of David. 560 years, and I won't take a bullet for that, has passed since David. And so if you have your, your Bible, if you go to um, 1 Chronicles in chapter 11. You pick it up and after these genealogies are all through and, and Ezra's going to write and he's just going to remind uh, the nation of Israel. You get a chance to see, if you look through chapter 10, you got the death of Saul. It's very, also very interesting to me. There's only one chapter about Saul in all, in all of this. But he wanted to focus on the line of David, the reign of David. In chapter 11, 26 through 47, you get a chance to see the mighty hand of God. You get a chance to be reminded as you think that the God, the Lord God Almighty was with David. And so now Ezra's going to go through and he's going to pull out some things that's just, just as reminders to say, hey, stop and think about it. I realize it's 560 years later. I realize that, you know, this God that we, we talk about that has the power has really, we've gone a lot of different ways, but they went a lot of different ways because of their sin. They say, God, we don't need you. Solomon, I'll build the temple. I'll make it really, really nice. But I'll allow other places, of the high places, to be places of worship. And they didn't worship the God that we're talking about here. And so as Ezra writes this, and as you look through chapter 11, he doesn't want these people to forget. And so so he comes up with these, these things. If you look at chapter 11, the mighty men... And and there's the list of them. The mighty men that David, that supported David, that were David's warriors, David's help. And the stories of these men. If you look in chapter 11 and verse um, 11, this is the list of David's mighty men. 
And you read down through this, this chunk of scripture of David's mighty men. Look at um, verse 11. And how you want to pronounce those two nice huge words, I'll leave those up to you. But there was a chief of the officer. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed in one account. And if you go on through that list, you will see time and time again that God did miraculous things through individuals. These warriors. And so as you you start to sense and you start to see these people as, as Ezra's writing and say, Hey, look, I just want you to see, don't forget the power of this God. I know your lives are broken. I know the temple's not there. And it's, I know that there's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to say, you know what, God? You can't help me. But Ezra said, hold on a second. I want to show you that he can't help you. I want to show you, to remind you of his power. And so as, as you look through that, you got that, that opportunity. And then you get to, to chapter 14. And I think this one's kind of interesting to me. Is, is David again. And what I, what I want you to see is, is you look at, in chapter 14, look at verse 8. The Philistines heard that David would, had been anointed king over all of Israel. So they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and he went out to meet them. Now the Philistines came and, raised, uh, and raided the valley. And so David inquired of God, shall I go attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? What I want you to see this, see here is... David's asking God for advice. So you got these people that are coming back out of all this stuff and they're, and they're discouraged. They're frustrated. That Probably, if you're honest, they're just mad at God. God, why did you allow this to happen to us? And so you got this David, this king that you're aware of. And you've got this picture being painted by Ezra. They say, hold on. David has an opportunity to make a decision. But the first thing that David does says, Lord... What do you want me to do? And what I think is really interesting is, is David obeys the word of the Lord. When the Lord says to David, do this. David just says, oh, you know what, God, I don't really think that's the best plan. I don't really like that plan. I want to wipe the Philistines out. But Ezra wanted these people to know, when you hear the voice of the Lord, you have a choice or an opportunity to obey. And see, obedience is a choice. It's an opportunity because what's going to happen is when the word of the Lord does speak, what will they do? Will they revert back to, well, God, it isn't fair. You destroyed our temple. You, and, they've got, and the list can go on and on and on and on. They've got the opportunity. They've got the excuses to say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. When they heard the voice of the Lord and Ezra wanted these people to know, hey, hold on a second. So David and his men went up, and they defeated them. And he said, as the waters break out, God was broken out against my enemies and my hand. So that place was called Baal. And if you read on farther, there'll be times where David is going to do what the Lord says, when when the Lord says, don't attack. Also, I want you to see in verse 16, chapter 16. 
want you to see David's prayer. Also, I think it's interesting. Of all the things that Ezra could have talked about, why does he bring this back? Because he wants these people to know how to pray. I think it's interesting as you start out in 16 verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let the Lord and his strength seek his face. Always remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has pronounced. It's interesting to me that they haven't asked for one thing yet in this David's prayer. David hasn't stopped and said, no, hold on a second, I deserve this, I think this is right, this is what's best for me, not one time. And if you read through this prayer, you will see the adoration of David towards his God. You will see David seeking God's face, not God's hands. Stopping and saying, hey, you need to praise him. What do we normally do? Or what would they do? Hey God, you haven't been fair. You made us go into captivity. Hey God, you destroyed the temple. Hey God, you messed up my family. Hey God, this isn't right. Hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God. And Ezra wanted these people to see as you come back into this city, this is how we're going to pray. We're going to stop and seek God's face first. Because there's a temptation for distraction. There's a temptation for you to say, hey God, this is what I need. And if this new area was going to be reestablished and if they're going to rebuild this temple, they really need to stop and give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name and make known among the nations what he has done. Just wondering. As these people started to think their way through this, I wonder how their conversations changed during the meeting. I wonder how when they were just had opportunities to have a cup of coffee with their friends, that their friends' conversations were a little bit different. Because they were going to point their lives in a little bit of a different direction. And I really think as you, as you read through this, chapter 16 prayer, and obviously there's 36 verses, and I'm not going to do that this morning. But it's almost like Ezra wanted them just to be reminded that you can do this. That your God is with you. And I'm just wondering as these people are coming back and they're starting to think about reestablishing their lives Start thinking about singing to the Lord, all the earth, proclaim His salvation uh, day after day. Ascribe to the Lord our families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in splendor and His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. I just wonder if there was a sense inside of them they could do this. I wonder if there's a sense inside of them because of their God. 
And because they started praising their God, they stopped thinking about all the negative things. There was just positive things coming in their mind that they were just, that maybe, I'm sure it wasn't this picture, but there was this concept that you really don't need to worry that God had this. That God was there. I wonder if they started to think about that, that person in their life that came alongside them when they were struggling, when they were hurt, when they were broken. And I, and I kind of put it in, in my reference frame, and I don't know if this would be true for them, but maybe it was a friend, or maybe it was a parent, or maybe it was a teacher. Or maybe it was just somebody that they admired. Maybe when they were 10, 12, 15, they were just remembered back to that conversation they had with that older person, and they said, you know what? You, you can do this. With God, you've got this. With God, you can rebuild this temple. With God, you have hope. And with God, you have strength. And as you go through, if you continue on, and as we look at chapter 21 in, in First Chronicles, and David wants to take the census. Verse 21, Satan rose up against Israel and decided David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go out and count all the Israelites. So he went out and counted all the Israelites. We drop down to verse 5. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all of Israel, there were 1,100,000 who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judea. That's a lot of people. Was it wrong to take the census? Verse 8, then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. And it's almost like you got this little picture in chapter 21, just reminding the people, you need to keep your eyes on, on the Yahweh. You need to stop and be reminded, it, David, it's not about the 1,100,000, 1, the 470,000 that were in Judea. It's not about them. Because you know what's interesting? David wanted to look at the numbers. And if you look at numbers, that's kind of, that's kind of high numbers. But the victory didn't come through numbers. The victory came through Yahweh. And Yahweh wanted them to know that victory came through Yahweh. And not David's way, or David's men, or David's schemes, or David's abilities, or David's warriors. No, no. So a new place is being established. First Chronicles. And so as you think about that, I put the two words back up in front of you. Grace and forgiveness. As you go through this chapter, there's a lot of things that you can pull out. If you want to talk about prayer, you can talk about prayer. If you want to talk about your focus, you can talk about your focus. If you want to talk about reminders, you can talk about reminders. 
But I know something that all of you need today. You need grace. And you need forgiveness. And there's no way around those two things. You need to know or be reminded this morning. As you're sitting in the 21st century. In Highlands County and Sebring, Florida. That grace only comes through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ. No other way. You also need to be reminded this morning that if your life is falling apart, there's only one place that you can go to find healing. That's same Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to be reminded again this morning that no matter what's going on around you, Yahweh is here. And that's true. So this morning as you've gathered with us as a time of worship, we call it church. We call it a family. It's an opportunity for you and Jesus to have a little meeting. It's an opportunity to be reminded that you need Jesus. You need grace. And God knew you needed that, so he said, I'll give you a Savior. He'll make a provision for you. He'll send Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Jesus will pay the penalty. He has paid the penalty for sin. For the whole world. But have you accepted that penalty? Have you received that free gift? See, it's, it's about your choice. It's not about this cross or that cross. It's about you doing something with this cross or that cross. It's about you saying, hey, I accept this. It's about you receiving. It's about your response. Do you believe in Jesus Christ to obtain your gift of salvation? Is that what you believe this morning? If that is, God has given you a guarantee that when you take your last breath, he will send the Son to be with you. He will send angels. What I'm excited about is the welcoming party. Who will be on your welcoming party? Your mom, your dad, great grandmother. So today. We read and we started with Psalm chapter 24, so maybe that'll just be our best way to end it. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he formed it upon the seas and, and established it upon the water. Is that your Lord today? Is that your God? Is that your Savior? Is that your Messiah? That's what Ezra wanted for this new new group of people. He wanted them to know grace and he wanted them to know about forgiveness. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you placed in your word. 
for us to go back and look our way through, think our way through, struggle our way through, and be reminded this morning that you are here, that Yahweh is alive. So, Father, I don't know who's sitting here, but if you're sitting here and you've never said yes to Jesus, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that you've never said, I accept the free gift of salvation. I believe. I'm a sinner. I receive it. If you've never done that, make the day that day. Say yes to Jesus. To that still small voice inside of you saying, hey, you need a Savior. I'm here. He died on the cross for your sins. A few days later, he rose again. He's alive. You're here this morning and say, you know what, Pastor Todd, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Just put your hand in the air. Am I doing that? Say that to me. Father, you know our hearts. You know what's going on deep down inside. So, Father, if there's one, may you draw them to Father, I think there's a lot of people here that need just a good reminder of grace and forgiveness. And just an opportunity for us to stop and say thank you. I want you to stop in your own heart this morning and just say thank you, Father, for grace and forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. If you're here this morning, you'd like to pray with somebody. We have the WhatsApp ministry. They love prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here, to hear your voice through your word. In your name I pray.